Welcome back to the uh, Aerospace Executive Podcast. I am, uh, I'm thrilled to reconnect with an old friend of mine, uh, Mike Manazir. Uh, Mike and I actually haven't talked for, for quite a while before this, and, and we reconnected, but we first met 30 years ago on the USS Ranger. Uh, Mike was an F-14 pilot, lieutenant commander at the time. I was a young lieutenant. Um, it was apparently obviously he was going to be wildly successful in everything he did, and uh, he's been a member of a very exclusive club. Uh, Mike went on to become a uh, two-star admiral, commanding officer of the uh, USS Carl Vinson, and yes, uh, yeah. the Nimitz. I'm sorry, the, yeah. I don't know why Vinson. Okay, XO Carl Vinson and and CO there Nimitz. Yep. And the yep. CO of the Nimitz, and uh, probably one of the more famous uh, F-14 pilots uh, <laughs> in the Navy. So uh, there you go. There's my introduction. Mike also has just written a new book called Lead to Win. And it's being released in early February. We're going to talk a little bit about that. But Mike, thanks for uh, thanks for coming on, Craig. It's awesome to reconnect, uh, and uh, you know that career and that time that we joined uh, and went on deployment on on uh, you know the Danger Ranger uh, there. But it's it's cool to watch. Uh, to you know, I, I follow you on LinkedIn and I watch the posts, and it's neat to see how our thinking has aligned over the years. The journeys, even though we were in different places on Ranger, have have brought us to this in, this connection point, and and I find that fascinating, um, you know, to reconnect with with people like you that we start a flight deck somewhere or in a in a ready room or a cockpit or an exercise or, you know, training command class or something like that. Kind of neat. Happy to be here. No, it's great. So uh, no, thanks for you know thanks for coming on. So talk about let's just talk about a little bit about, about your background and and the one thing I I, I was thinking about this podcast. And and we and and it's all about excellence. And you you, you know your career is kind of you, know, you reach the pinnacle at every stage of your career. Naval Academy, F fourteens, very community, very you know, competitive community. Um, you know you became a member of a very exclusive club uh, uh, as the the commanding officer of an aircraft carrier, and then obviously becoming a two-star Navy Admiral up at the, the Pentagon, you know, what was your process? What was your, you know, starting out when you joined the Navy, what was your thought process and what, what got you, what got you to each of those points? Yeah, thanks. I, and and if your audience will bear with me, there's some, so some really interesting lessons here that, you know, this human can pass to the humans that listen to you. And it is that journey. So, so way back in the eighth grade, uh, my dad, who was a Naval Academy graduate class in 1958, a United States Marine, took us to a Georgia Tech Navy football game, and it was away. We were stationed in Beaufort, South Carolina. He took us over to Georgia Tech, and we watched the the football game. And I had heard stories about the academy, but you know nothing that really got my attention at all, zero. And when the mids marched on uh, at that Georgia Tech game, I had this big flash and I said, that's what I want to do. That right there, those guys in the coats and the hats, that's what I want to do. It was blinding. It was this instant, like inflect. There was a first inflection point in my life that's, that got me to talking to you today. And so I made it my commitment. Commitment is a word that I want your, your listeners to remember. I'm committed to that goal. And I'm going to go to the Naval Academy. And I had an idea in my head I wanted to fly. And that coalesced all the way down to I'm going to fly fighters. And through some machinations, I was going to be a Marine Air guy first because I thought Marines were really sharp. They are really sharp. And, and so I'm a Marine fighter pilot, right? And that, then for some other wanderings and windings, it turned into Navy fighter pilot. So I was committed. I get through the Naval Academy and I'm going to flight school. 
mm-hmm. and I'm going to go down to flight school and I'm going to go fly Tomcats. Uh, you know, I, I think uh, uh, that that book with uh, or that that movie uh, uh, with Nimitz, uh, what's it? Tomcats go back in World War Two. That you know. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. Final uh, countdown. Final final countdown. Final yeah, countdown. Yeah. It's like yeah, that I'm going to do that and and uh, you know kind of things. But anyway, Tomcats was what I had in my head. I went down and and I'll tell you again, commitment. When I got my first helmet in primary, and we were going to fly. Uh, I went to VT6 to fly T-34s. I stuck a cutout picture of a Tomcat on my helmet out of a reflecting tape. I stuck it on my helmet. I'm said, I'm flying that. I hadn't even started flying T- T-34s yet. Oh, wow. You must, have been, went, you must like, have been uh You must kinda, have been popular. <laughs> kind of cocky, right? And uh, I, I'm not kidding. And I didn't think anything of it. I'm flying those. I'm going to do my best here. And so I did through flight school. I did the very best I could. Mm-hmm. And I found every uh, every way. For instance, uh, I got when I was stashed in San Diego, I got my private pilot's license because I heard that was a good thing to do before I went to flight school. Mm-hmm. And I would rent a little airplane out of scenic airport, in Pensacola, fly to the working area, look at all the stuff over there and fly those routes and kind of look down at the ground and ground gouge. And so for for situational awareness and air sense, all kinds of stuff, it was epic because I go fly a T-34 and the instructor would say, engine failure, Ensign, where are you going to land? Well, I already scoped out the landing place. So I just rattle off a place to land. I'm like, holy crap, you get all that. But, oh, yes, sir. You know, so there you uh, go. So I uh, and then and then went through uh, went through uh, Kingsville and in, in T2s and T34s. And, and I just I just did the very best I could. And my goal and this is the message that I think applies. I was going to fly Tomcats from the second I entered the Naval Academy. Mm-hmm. And I was going to get through the Naval Academy, get through the BS that you put up with going there. And I was doing the very best I can to get a pilot slot, go to flight school, get through uh, the training command and go fly Tomcats at Miramar. And, mm-hmm. and in fact, when, when I graduated, when I got my wings that week, I was the number one in the country out of all the, the bases. Um, and, and I had my choice and they had a Hornet slot uh, available and, and I could fly Hornets at Lemoore. I think it was Lemoore. Anyway. The first time they were letting nuggets into the the F eighteen, and I no, nope, I, I I want the I want the F fourteen at, at Miramar, so I chose that. Actually, Kid Dale uh, was number two behind me. He got the Hornet slot, so we both got to do exactly what we wanted to do. And then through my Navy career, um, I knew what I wanted to do. So when I met you on on Ranger, that was my department head tour. Mm-hmm. And I showed up as a safety officer. And as an aside, you know, I went to safety school and and the instructor stood up and said, hey, within 30 days, one of you guys in here is going to be investigating a class A. And that, that was me. Um, we lost an airplane at Fallon right after I showed up the squadron. Both guys died in the crash. Neil Jones and uh, Neil Jones and, uh, and Scott Waldinger. Scott Waldinger. Neil, yep. Both good friends of mine. Great guys. There you go. They're great, great guys. And, you know, I tell that story in the book. and uh, and. And so I had that. And so my experience as a safety officer, and then I ended up being the OPSO and the, and the, and the maintenance officer, the OPSO story, I will tell you from an excellent standpoint, I showed up at VF1 and either VF1 or VF2 had been the battle E winner every single year from the history of, you know, fighters. Mm-hmm. And how is that? And so I dove in and it turns out that the battle E instruction has a checklist on it. And it has all the things you have to excel at and how many points. And so what they would do is they just go into the check. They go, okay, we got to do this exercise and get this many points. And so that's what I did. And we won the battle. Lead. And so 
I, I understood the, the conditions to, to succeed and I went after those conditions. So even as an OPSO and VF1, because I just went into the book and I opened the book and said, we're going to do that commitment to that standard. Mm-hmm. Um, and that, you know, and then, then after VF1, uh, Barnyard Bernard gave me the number one ticket for department head and said, you're going to be a commanding officer. And, and I chose orders to the Pentagon to be a, be a joint officer. So even though people thrive on the fact that they have a 20 or 30 year career without going to the Pentagon, mm-hmm. I knew I needed to do that to continue my career path. And I knew that that was going to be part of learning for me. So you and I talked a minute ago about, you know, bloom where you're planted or opportunity that shows up. You know, I, I knew there was going to be opportunity in this joint job back at the Pentagon. And I learned a bunch back there. And so I do that, Schrieffer Command, go to BF-31, get command of BF-31, go be commanding officer, and which was epic. And at that time, that was kind of the end of that, you know, the F-14 pipeline to be a commanding officer and everything opens up after that. Um so the next inflection point for me was after squadron command, uh, I got selected for Navy nuclear power. And, and there was one year I got selected. I said, no, it was before you, well, actually both times it was before turning down major command, but I said, no, didn't really feel right about it, but I came out with orders to BF 101 to rag. I was going to be a skipper of 101 down at Oceana. And I thought, well, that's okay, good. I made the right decision. Well, the next year they screened me for the, for the nuke program again. And I said, well, I'm not volunteering. I'm not going to do that. Um, and there be, the, the board uh, called me and said, you're going nuke. And I said, no, I'm not. And started this big fight between me and, you know, admirals and captains. And it culminated in Admiral Black Nathman, who was my boss at the time in N88, beating the crap out of me and, and screaming at me and saying, why don't you want to lead? And so when we talk about opportunity, the other thing I think about sometimes is mentors have to shove their mentees through a door. Mm-hmm. Because they know better than you do. And that's what happened to me. I got shoved through the door of nuclear power in uh, December of 1999. Spent a year and a half in that epic learning environment as a, you know, post-command 42-year-old commander studying like a, you know, an undergraduate in a, in a very, very technical school. And uh, came out the other side and, and went to Carl Vinson as the XO uh, with a real, you know, I, when I got to be the CEO of Nimitz, I was ecstatic. That's the best job in the universe. Mm-hmm. But the ability to learn as uh, as the executive officer and then moving up into that that sort of post squatter stuff, mm-hmm. I boy, talk about opportunity. That's where I first learned to delegate. Um, coming up through the F fourteen squadron command, I could I could do all the jobs of all the department heads all by myself, and I'd be fine. Three thousand people, eighteen departments. You know, a doctor, a dentist. I, I can't do that, and so I learned how to delegate. And me and eighteen department heads ran that ship, and I had a ball. Mm-hmm. That's where I first learned to let go and and to gather teammates around you that know more than you do, um, and to create a you know a better outcome. Uh, and then, like I said, once I got the Nimitz, best job in the galaxy, epic ever. Um, and I went through the wickets to do that. So I had to do a good job as, uh, as an XO. And then, you know, even though the captain's going to make it the number one cat, the number one guy anyway, but my deep draft, uh, USS Sacramento fighter pilot driving a supply ship and what could possibly go wrong. Right. <laughs> I mean, that was, that was fun. And I, I did well at that. Our ship won a bunch of awards and, and I had a blast learning how to drive a big ship. Um, and then that culminated in the Nimitz selection. So I think, creating the opportunities for yourself when you, when you land somewhere and just, Hey, what do I want to get out of this? This is my vision. And if you have that vision and drive to the vision, you're going to succeed. 
everything that I achieved in the Navy, you know, when people just put, hey, the guy was, oh, he's awesome. He was a two-star and he was a striker commander and he was a Nimitz. He was an aircraft carrier CEO. There's less of those that have been in space. And he was a fighter pilot. He went to Top Gun. You know, the that's because I did my very best in the condition there and never, never, if it was up to me, I never left anything to chance. And the, uh, the, the last part about that is I tried as hard as I could to be a nice guy to be around, to be a teammate and a, a collaborative and, you know, friendly and upbeat and optimistic and, you know, team building, stuff like that. So I, I use that sort of social connection. I connect with people pretty well, kind of connect at the heart and then, and then try to do the best I possibly could. And it resulted in this wonderful career that I get to, you know, think about, look back on and, and, uh, and then learn from. Yeah, look, it's it's all about we were talking about before we hit record on this. It was about the you know, you know I you know I was a Hawkeye, I was a Hawkeye NFL. You know, nobody joins the the Navy, or nobody joined the Navy at the time to go fly E two Hawkeyes and sit in the dark, in the dark too. But I look back and I think about the opportunities that created. You know, you just think about the thought process. If I do well here, what's next? And I think about the squadron I was in. You've got one guy who's out in San Diego who founded with his own, he bootstrapped a company, which is now worth $600, $700 million. Yeah. And he's got, he's got, uh, he's a, you know, another E2 guy. And, and, and there's another guy in Denver who runs a $60 million a year revenue company. And another, another fellow in our squadron who, you know, quite frankly, I, I wish we treated him a little bit better um, than we did. Uh, phenomenal guy. He went off into real estate and became, you know, he just used the mindset that he learned in the Hawkeye to go invest in commercial real estate. And he joined a hedge fund and now he retired with more money than, than God himself. And you think about, you know, hey, look, you know, where, the, where you are is an opportunity for down the road. It's all about what you make of it. Yeah. And that's, you know. And I think to your, I think you captured it exactly correct. And I think your listeners are going, oh, well, okay, but you know, we're, all right, well, where I am, I look around, what do I do? You, you got to create a vision in your mind. And so each one of those very successful, you know, E2 guys that go on, there's something about them that they were able to, you know, to capture and go on. So if somebody says, well, I can't, well, I mean, how do I create a $600 million company? Of course, everybody will want to do that. But you have to, you have to put that vision out there on the far horizon and then start moving towards it. And you figure out what it takes to get there and you do those things. You, you've got to envision the path. And I, I'm convinced that when you envision a path and you commit to the path, you can achieve what it is you're trying to do. Well, you know, I talked to a lot of college kids. I mentor a lot of college kids. And we'll go back to your sticker on the your, 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 your helmet. <laughs> it's called starting with the end in mind. Exactly. And if you say, look, where do I want to be in life or in my career? You know, what is the ultimate you know, what's the ultimate goal? Now, you and I had the similar, you know, my ultimate goal when my father took me to the Philadelphia airport when I was nine years old is I want to be that guy. <laughs> and it just so happened the Navy was the right path. But you had you started with the end in mind. You wanted to fly F-14s and you did everything you could to make that a reality. I am so happy you brought that up because we just segued into the beginning of my book. We actually quote. That's one of the seven habits of the most highly highly effective people by by Covey mm -hmm. is start with the end in mind. And we use that as the leadership example in the first part. When I went to the Naval Academy, you, you've captured exactly the essence of how I think about it. You and I think about this exactly the same. 
Let's talk about the book, Lead to Win. You, so you, <laughs> you, you've said a couple of things to me that, you know, and, and leading, you know, joy, you know, joyfulness. Yep. Um, being a good team player. You know, there's there's a lot of managers out there that they 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 don't understand that leadership is about teamwork too. Yeah. So the full the full title, if if you'll allow me, is learn how to lead to win. When you right now it's on the Amazon platform, and you know we're gonna we're gonna get on there some more. And it's it's a picture it's a picture of an aircraft carrier on the front. You can't miss it. And lead to win is in bolded, so which which cause your eyes to that. But but this idea of of Moving through your journey, move, moving through my journey. So the book is, is, it starts basically with, I go to the Naval Academy and it ends with me leaving the Pentagon at, after 36 years of, of flying and sailing and, um, you know, learning in the Navy. And there's 33 discrete lessons, one in each chapter. And then there's a, there's an epilogue. It's kind of, it's kind of cool. We put it together, like coming back from a flight. And uh, here, here's what I learned with some leadership maxims, but but the idea of, of the book is, is that in my journey, so the, the first part of it is we're at the Nail Academy and, and we discovered, you know, we're talking about the, the, the end in mind. Actually, that was where I also learned to follow. Mm-hmm. And it's critical that people learn to follow. Um, I just put a post on LinkedIn just like a couple of weeks ago when I was walking one day and it just it dawned on me that. You know, when you go to an institution like the Naval Academy, you get taught followership. And if somebody doesn't get taught the proper way to follow, it's very, very hard to be an effective leader because you don't know how to put yourself in a follower's shoes or you're unwilling to take a follower role Mm -hmm. behind a, you know, somebody who should step up into a leadership role. Now, you, you obviously we used to go fight. You know, Tomcats would be controlled by E2s and you'd see the fight developing. And yeah, maybe I'm flying out there as a commanding officer. You know, I'm the senior guy. I've got the senior guy in the back seat. But the wingman, brand new nugget, Lieutenant JG, might have a lot more situational awareness than I do. And the bogeys are coming in from his side of the formation. And he goes, uh, you know, tally two, right, right, two o'clock, lead right. And he takes the lead. Mm -hmm. And as you, you know, as, as a senior person, that person who takes the lead, you're you're you gotta follow them to, to create the you know the effectiveness of the team. So the idea of following and to understand, you know, how to follow then leads into what kind of leadership. And you said it right. The leader, the right, an effective leader has to be willing to be a teammate and has to be willing to put the title aside and be a follower. And in order to do that, you have to learn how to follow first. But I always think. If, if anybody in our world here listening is leading with their title, whether it's two stars, CEO, manager, grand poobah, you know, mm-hmm. on your door, and you're relying on that title to lead, you're not getting the most out of your team mm-hmm. and they see it. And if you're not authentic and, you know, they're, they're not going to follow you. And, yep. and so there's a lot, a lot to unpack there, I know, but that's kind of the way that I think about it. Yeah, no, look, I can talk to you. Know, I can talk to you. Know, my, you, know, you, 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 you look at your journey through life and your career. When I was in my mid 20s and into my early 30s, you know, uh, you know, I was the rebel without a cause. The rebel without a cause, or probably the rebel without a clue. And it got me in more trouble. <laughs> but it was like, you know, hey, look, you know, if you don't want to follow, don't complain about the leader. 
yeah. you know, that's, you know, and that's a big thing. I, you know, that's a big thing I see now, you know, it's, it's people, they complain about the leadership, but it's like, Hey, wait a minute, the leadership may be good, but the issue may be, you're not either listening, not willing to follow either. You're not listening to what the leader is saying, or you're not willing to follow and at least get into a, you know, a rhythm, get it, you know, get the boat rowing in the same direction. And that's a big, you know, that, you know, once I figured out, I go, wait a minute, you know, it, it took me a little later in life to stop being the the rebel. And I was like, all right, I get it. And sure enough, it was like a light bulb went off. Things, you know, learning how to follow, I think is as much of a skill as learning how to lead. Yeah. But you used a lot of metaphors there, uh, you know, and I, and I would, I would also admit to you that we knew each other on Ranger, but, you know, I have a, a fairly aggressive individual streak and it's, it's, it can be a rebel without a clue, but a good leader can look at somebody like you and can channel your energy in the right way that gives you um, confidence and affirmation of what you're doing. They just need to channel your energy. Right. And, 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 Leaders have to realize that the team is what, you know, the dreams in the team, you know, as the cliche, cliche goes, and I kind of like that, that idea. But in order to get to where you're going to go, you need to be part of that team. You and I were in ready rooms that were that were bonded together, and we all had a set of values and cultures that was, you know, once we, we went over the horizon and went to go fight somebody, you know, you, that's what we we're going to go do, right? And so the team has to be coherent cohesive has to have the same value set and the leader has to be able to cultivate those values. And you don't do that from a position of authority, you know, right. Raining down on, on people. You have to take advantage of the talents of the whole team. And you'll find that the performance of the team is going to skyrocket when you do that. And especially the rebels. Well, okay. What am I, what am I missing here? No, what you're absolutely you right. But the one thing, the one thing that, you know, the one thing we all built too is trust. And and, exactly, and, yes. and 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 unit and you know business divisions, military ready rooms, whatever. You know the good leader creates a position of trust. There's no you know there's there's really no Peter principle. This person's only going to advance to the. It's it's either you trust them or you don't. And if you don't trust that person, you move them out and you go find somebody that you can trust. Yeah, and that's you, huge. It's huge. I, I actually give a little a little tiny brief. Um, internal to the company I work for. And, and I had, there's a couple of things that I, that are, that are testaments for me. And I have the very first one is trust is everything. It's everything you, you can't, if you don't have trust in the organization psychological safety, you know, that kind of thing, you're not going to get anywhere. Mm-hmm. And, and if you've got that trust established, you got to protect that. Like it's, it's the crown jewels or Fort Knox gold or whatever. Cause when that trust bucket gets kicked over and all that trust dumps out on the floor, you flip that bucket back up. It's one drip at a time to put it back. You're you've hit the you you've hit the yeah. That's yeah. it right there. I mean, you think about all the you think about all the things that are you know, you just turn on the news right now. All the issues of crypto, all the issues of a lot of the issues in the political spectrum. It's all because there's no there's no trust. You know, yeah. people have people have done everything they can to erode the trust in you know you know you know, multiple facets of society. And you're like, Hey, look, yeah. all you really want, all people really want is a leader who can build trust and cohesiveness yeah. and take, yeah. And, and, and take, things you, down you know, the path. you know, the thing I do want to also offer your listeners is um, so I mentioned when I, when I went to be the uh, executive officer of the Carl Vinson, 
um, and I delegated. Well, with delegation comes trust. And, and so, and it has to go from like, like day one. And, and I had a leader um, in my current event or my current situation that did not know how to do this. And that person only extended trust when they thought they could trust you. And I, I'm the opposite. It, you know, somebody's gonna have to prove to me they're not trustworthy, mm-hmm. you know, before I actually extend the trust. So yes, you, you, you want to reach out a little bit. And when you see that somebody's competent, they've got the skills to be there, they're, you know, they're then you you trust them and, and you you talk about it. Say, I'm gonna trust you to do this job. I trust the team. Mm-hmm. And part of my agenda was by by being very vocal about extending trust. I wanted to make sure they were committed to where I wanted to go and they didn't want to violate my trust or disappoint me. Mm-hmm. So they have a, uh, you know, they have a mandate, right? Because we all share trust with each other. But I think that's, that's bedrock uh, as a leader, even putting together a new team coming in and, and saying, okay, we're going to, we're going to go forward together to extend that trust to the team and let them know that you're extending that trust, delegate to them, let them do a lot of the work, give them the credit because um, it still reflects on you as a team lead, but that's that trust and delegation go together. I'll tell you where I see it the worst is I work with a lot of mid cap, smaller mid cap, privately held companies, and I get once or twice a year I get a CEO says I need a COO. Why do you need a CEO? Well, I need somebody to be my right hand person, and then you find out they this is their third or fourth COO, and you talk to all the people like, well, yeah, he brought me in to be the COO but then he wouldn't let go. Wouldn't yeah. let me have, wouldn't let anything, wouldn't let me do anything. So there was a lot of time. I'll tell you exactly. Uh, you know, it's, this is it really interesting. Fella now is a CEO of a company. And I first met him when, when he was the COO of a, but you know, you know, the private fighter pie, the, the private adversary air, they bring him in to be the COO. And I'm like, why'd you leave? And he goes, well, I, they, they said they wanted a, a COO to put in process. And they wanted a COO to put in safety and they wanted a COO to put in all this other stuff. I got there, but it was like, they didn't want to do it. They didn't want to let go. Yeah. So after about a year, I'm like, look, you guys don't want me here. I don't want to be here. Let's, let's make it nice. Yeah. And, and he went off to be, yeah, he's a very successful guy now, but it was an interesting story. I tell a lot. It's, it's uh, what happens when you don't want to let go. Yeah, when you don't, you got, yeah, you got to. I, I, I keyed on something else you, you just said when you described the role. I said, we, we need somebody to be an arrogant one. Um, you know, come in and be, you know, and I could obviously use the, the term here, but I won't, but, you know, to be the mean guy, right? So when we grew up in the 80s, you know, you when you're going to take over a squadron, see so the executive officer first, yeah. and the commanding officer. And when I grew up in the 80s, there was this cultural thing that the executive officer, the heads and beds guy, the one who held the standard was mean and he was yelling and he was, you know, he was like, you know, that kind of a person. And again, I could use the yeah, term here that would perfectly fit, but I won't. Yeah. So even that kind of person. And then when that person, that executive officer, 18 months later, fleeted out to be the CEO, he became the nice guy because, well, the exo is a mean guy. And I'm like, no, 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 no. No, doesn't work that I'm way. the same guy. And so when I was the executive officer, I'm the same guy. Now your standards are high. So you're the COO, your standards are high. That doesn't mean you have to be some overbearing demon. And then definitely when you go to be like, let's say the COO goes to be the CEO of a company and you all of a sudden change your spots, people are going to look at you and go, where, where'd that come from? And they will never trust you. 
Yep. And so yep. you've got to be the human being that you are, no matter what their role is. And you're exactly right. And then the other issue here is delegation. When you bring somebody in to do a job, delegate the job to them, let them go, let them have responsibility and authority, and they will do wonders for you. And they'll be very happy. What needs to happen? What needs to happen? Okay. You, you told me five things that need to happen. We're going to make them happen. I'll, I'll, I'll report along the way as to where we are, but they are yep. on my list and I will take care of it. And that's yep. like music to, yeah, that's music to anybody's, to any, any leader's ear is I have it. I'll take care of it. I'll come back to you and tell you either where we are along the way or that it's, it's done all, you know, like that's, that's all anybody wants to hear. Right. Yep. Yep. The most effective, in fact, there's a little anecdote that I use uh, what you just said. I have it. I'll take care of it. I'll come back to you. I use, I say, what, so what, now what, what's the problem? So what's, what's important now? What am I going to do about it? And as you and I both are picturing in our mind, the person that comes in leans on a door jam and says, what, so what, now what, or I have it. I know what to do. I'll come back to you. That's the kind of leader that you want. You don't want somebody that comes in and asks for advice every time because they're obviously not worthy of the task. But when, mm -hmm. some, when you extend that delegation or that trust, you let them go and and they will give you the results. Um, yeah. I had the last anecdote I'll, I'll tell you on this is uh, I had, well, I was uh, OPNAV N98. So I resourced Naval Aviation out of the Pentagon as a two-star. And I was uh, given the final uh, evaluation to an officer that was leaving. It was a Navy captain that was leaving my, my command and going back to the, back to command. And he said, you're the best boss I've ever had. Taking it back, of course. Why is that? He said, you let me do my job. You just let me do my job. I said, of course I let you do your job because I can't do your job. And if you don't, we can't succeed. Mm -hmm. And he he said, I felt empowered. I felt like I had the authority. I could, you know, I could create my own plan. You listened to me when I came in. You gave me the resources when I said I need this barrier kicked down. I loved it. Mm -hmm. And all I did was let the guy do his job. And so if more people did that, we'd have happier teams. We'd have more effective. Yeah, I love that. You know, that's the one thing I love learning as an ensign in the Navy. If you have the responsibility to get it done, you have the authority to make things happen. Yeah. You know, and and it's yeah. yeah, that's a it's a basic leadership tenant. But if you're going to give somebody the responsibility to finish, you know, to complete a project, you got to give them the authority to to do what they need to do to get it done. It's it's that and that journey, you know, we we can you and I can reflect and we're kind of envisioning the same spot. That's what I kind of describe in my book because each one of those, so a midshipman of the academy, flight school commitment to flying Tomcats, learning how to fly, learning how to land on boats, learning to be a, a landing signal officer. Um, you know, I, I had a pretty neat, well, yeah, I pretty unique opportunity to, I was the LSO recovering Keith Gallagher and Mark Baden in the A6 where he was, Keith was stuck halfway out the, the top of that. Mm -hmm. That's a story in the book because I'm telling the captain of the ship what to do with the ship while I was waving the, the airplane. Then, you know, leading as a commanding officer and delegation and then, you know, leading people who are very good. I call it in the book, I call it leading thoroughbreds, being able to lead peers and senior people who know what they're doing, but you're effectively guiding the intentions all the way through my naval career, I had the opportunity to learn a lesson at each one of these places that you and I are, are running around and talking about here. And what, what actually caused me to write that book is this recognition that, boy, I, I, I learned so much about leading in my Navy career. And I have so many stories about things that apply to leadership. I just wanted to pay it forward and get them down on paper. It's no, it's, it, and I'm, I'm, I'm 
the leadership lessons you talk about waving airplanes aboard, you know, bug roach. I, I, yeah. I, I still talk, yeah. you know, you know, you know, bug roach was phenomenal. You know, and, and you talk about a person who, you know, he, he was just quirky. He was out there. He was wild, but there wasn't anybody who was going to say, I don't, I'm not going to do what you, it was, there was never a person I've ever met who just commanded respect. Yeah. Like that fellow did. Yeah. And you remember, talk about trust, you know, mm-hmm. it's pitches, you know, the ship's moving plus or minus 30 feet, 60 feet of deck motion. It's storming. Mm-hmm. It's rolling it's black outside and he's going come on down the sliders are great i got you and he would just lip lock you coming down and and he he was my he was my model and my idol for you know landing signal officer stuff and that's that's who i pattern myself after just like that i wanted somebody when they heard me on the radio to go okay nasty's got me we're we're going to be fine here even when it was awful outside Right. But you know, yeah. the thing about Bug was he was that great tactical leader. He was never going to become an admiral. He right. was never going to drive a ship. He probably didn't want to. Um, he was just that guy who wanted to be in the trenches every day with the aviators. Yep. And that was his calling in life. But damn, if he just didn't do it, you know, really, really well. And that's the kind of leader that everybody needs in a company. Yeah. That's the kind of leader everybody needs in business. Um, yeah, or wherever exactly you right. You you follow that guy. That he's he's the proverbial man that you'd follow through fire, nuclear war, anything. A guy, yeah, exactly. So it's I mean, all it's good. Just and we all talk about him. And and gosh, you live a life like that, and you can you can garner that kind of respect and and be down there. Yeah, it's just epic. And and he's still, you know, to this day, you know, here it is. He's he's you know, passed away. You know, he was killed in a crash, what, 30 years ago? It's about, yep. about 30 years ago. And everybody still talks, everybody still talks yep. about him. And that's yep. you know, that's a legacy. That's a legacy. That's a legacy. So when is your book coming out? I want to have more conversations. Um, we're gonna do this again. When's your book coming cool. out? So it'll be uh there's some early versions on Amazon now. And uh by the time your webcast comes out last part of January, uh I think the first weekend in February, your listeners will be able to get copies of it and, and read about what we've been talking about. And the book is called Learning How to Lead yeah, to learn, Win. Yep, learn how to lead to win. And uh and then there's a aircraft carrier on the front, my name and and Mike then Man- I- <laughs> Mike Manazir, and it's spelled yeah. M-A-N-A-Z-I-R, call sign right. Nasty. How'd yep. you get that call sign anyway? <laughs> That's also described in the book. It's fairly silly. Uh, when when I was in the training command, um, you know, and call signs, fighter yeah. guys, you know, talking to radio, maybe your listeners know call signs come from calm brevity. And so there's a bunch of mics on the radio, but there's only like one nasty. So you got to have a call sign. So we're down in the training command and, and, various names they just make up stuff and hey you're today your call sign is stash or whatever and and uh so one day one silly instructor says you know hey your name kind of sounds like menage a trois last name and so he goes and so you're going to be menage a trois. all right you know and you never fought the call sign you just right. just you know just so i get a name tag says menage a trois that friday night we go over to the uh we go over to the oak club and kelly's there with me and we're standing in a circle and this girl comes up and she she's going she likes call signs. She's going around a circle and she's, you know, that guy's ace and the, my my marine buddy. 
standing next to me is, is Dave Matheny. His call sign's Martini. He flew F-4s and Marines, now flies for the airlines and stuff. But uh, he got my, we got our wings together. Anyway, you know, Martini, Matheny, Martini, that's kind of cool. And then she gets to my name tag. She goes, Mana, that's nasty. <laughs> and Martini goes, that's it. Nasty call sign. And so, okay, on Monday, I got a little black embroidered name tag. It said nasty on it. And the instructors looked at that and said, uh, okay, I, I guess that's kind of funny. So they put that put it up there. And Craig, for the next 36 years, I never did anything to earn anything different. Yep. And so that's what it was. <laughs> and so yep. people, I, I tell you what's funny. Here's what's funny about call sign. And so you know this. If you were going to introduce me to your family, you, now you know my first name, but back then you 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 know nasty. You go, this is uh, uh, what is your first name? You know, it's, it's nasty. You know, and and so every once in a while I'll meet somebody and I'll say, hey, this is Mike Nazar. You know, and and the wife will, okay, hey, blah 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 blah, yeah, nasty. Oh, you're nasty. You're nasty. You know, and so the identity goes with it. And so I got very used to it. Pentagon, Navy, CNO called me nasty. Everybody called me nasty. I walk I walk into the company I currently work for. And some people are very comfortable with call signs and, and nicknames, and, and but the culture is not to be. And so every once in a while, in like a really big meeting, somebody will say, well, as Nasty just said, and the room goes like that. What, what, what was that? <laughs> and then other people will say, am I, is it okay if I call you Nasty? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I get, Mike is weird to me because I spent so so long time under the label, but yeah. Yeah. I, I think I was on the, I was on the Ranger three. I was, I was just finished up second, third year of a yeah, three-year tour. And it was either Scott Butler, Steve Sisney comes up. He goes, I've known you three years. I don't even know your name. Yeah. What is it? <laughs> He's like, I don't even know your name. That's great. <laughs> yeah. Pretty dang funny. Yeah. I still remember. In fact, I was, I was going back and forth with, uh, with Scott Butthead Butler yep. uh, just the other day, and and says uh, Bob Sisney and I, he's an instructor in United, I think. Now we we have maintained a close connection over the years. So, yeah, uh, we I'll, I'll tell you a quick call sign joke, uh, not a joke, but a, a situation that those guys did in BF1. The XO who remained nameless never learned anybody's names or call signs, and so. Sis Bob and Axe Craig, John Craig, sure. swap name tags. They swap name tags on their flight suit for the express purpose to see if such XO noticed the difference. And so <laughs> XO walked in, looks directly at Sis Bob, looks down at the name tag and says, so Axe, right to <laughs> Sis Bob. And they're, they're like, yes, sir. You know, and they answered like they're those guys. Boom, proven. So <laughs> there you go. <laughs> oh, there it is. Yeah. So learn people's names because you might invite you. There you yeah. go. Absolutely. So uh yeah. no, all good. So hey, uh you got the book coming out. Web, what's your website? You got a website too. Yeah, thanks for asking. www.mikemanazer.com. Very and cool. All, all spelled just like that, you know, with no space or anything like that. I'm looking forward to having you back. That's awesome, Craig. Let's Thanks get the very book much. Out. Let's get some chapters out there into the public and then let's have you back. Yeah, then we could we could have specific uh, you know, specific conversations about specific chapters. Because there's there's a bunch of lessons in there, you know, individually and uniquely learned. And so, you know, we kind of touched on a bunch today, but but yeah, that'd be fun. I'm looking forward to it. Yeah, me too. Thanks, Nasty. Brother. Nasty, thanks for coming on. Great seeing See you. Craig. I hope you enjoyed the latest edition of the Aerospace Executive Podcast. 
You can reach out to me directly, Craig at NorthStarESG.com, or check us out at www.NorthStarESG.com. You can subscribe to this podcast on iTunes, Stitcher, Podbean, or on YouTube. Just do a search for Aerospace Executive Podcast. Thanks again. I'm Craig Pippen.